a health update, hearts growing cold, racism, and our legacy. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the show where you come for the accent. And today, I'm going to be honest, today is the show you're going to come for uh, a big guy who's going to be breathless a lot. Um, and you stay for the, the principles. I'm doing a show, I'm recording this on. Easter Monday morning, and I, I don't know when you're going to get to hear this, but I've been quiet for the last couple of weeks, and I wanted to talk to you and let you know where I have been and what's going on, and because I need to talk to you about what's going on in our world, and I, it's killed me to be away for so long. First of all, I'm going to apologize in advance. Um, I'm, uh, I'm really weak and tired and out of breath as you can probably hear already i'm talking for 40 seconds so i'm going to do my best with the greatness of technology and um apps and different things and sound things to remove a lot of the the huffing and the puffing and the the breathlessness out of this but i i'm going to apologize in advance because i can't speak too too long without getting out of puff so first of all if i want to from the bottom of my heart thank you guys for all the outpouring of love and support you guys have given me um over the last two weeks i'm not gonna lie uh, it's been a honestly it's been a scary couple of weeks um i've been very sick uh it started two and a half weeks ago where i just started with the you know what i thought was a routine flu and i i think i i can't remember exactly what i posted and what i what i know what i didn't say um and that's what i want to talk to you about today um, but I was sick and I took some time off work and I was just really, it's, I've been sick before. I've had, you know, severe doses of pneumonia. This dose is, as far as I can tell, it's, you know, it's probably the worst dose I've ever had and I still have it. Um, it's such a weird feeling to, to do a physical job, you know, five days a week to work hard and literally to, you know, I'm not joking, get out of bed and just walk, you know, 15 feet to the toilet and be like out of puff and like you feel like you've run a marathon. And that's the way I felt. And I felt so weak and I've slept a lot, was coughing, was breathlessness, severe pains in my chest. And I went to the, or didn't go to the doctor because they're not seeing anyone with this coronavirus. And, you know, speaking to them and got pills and said, okay, you just got to rest, take your pills, it'll get better. It got worse. I was having attacks in the middle of the night where I'd wake up breathlessness, which are really scary. You know, you're fast asleep and you think, yeah, it's your sleep. You're dreaming, you know, dreaming of different things and good things or having nightmares, depending on your worldview. And then you just wake up and you can't get breath. You can't breathe. You're just, it's, it's a really bad experience. If anyone's had them, you know what you're, you know what they're like. 
went rang the doctor again said look i'm not any better i'm actually getting worse um what can i do so she gave me even stronger antibiotics and stronger steroids and a, and a nebulizer didn't work rang her on the monday and i'm like this is not happening um i'm i'm getting worse i'm having really bad pains in my chest um breathing is bad can't do anything i'm sleeping a lot i have tell i'll tell you this i have never slept as much in my life as i have in the last two weeks it's incredible she said look there's nothing we can do for you you got to go to hospital went to the hospital and i'm going to talk to you about that later on but i'm i'm not going to lie i was i didn't say this to many people i didn't even say this to my own mother at the time but as i was walking into the hospital i thought there was a good chance i wasn't coming out and the reason i didn't say it to anyone is because one i'm always conscious of you know sharing bad news and two you know, you always think, oh, you're John, you're just, in my head, my, you know, if you're a long-term listener, you know, I'm my own biggest critic. And in your own head, I, I felt so sick and so bad. I was like, there's a chance I'm not coming out. They're going to find something and it's just not going to end well. And But then the back of my head is going, oh, John, don't be a drama queen. Come on. It can't be that bad. But I felt really, really bad. And then as you go through the emergency department and you get rushed and the first thing they, you know, with everything going on, they, they do the coronavirus test. And you got to wait, you know, I had to wait 48 hours for the results. And thankfully, I got the, the good news of um, things, you know, I didn't have coronavirus. But while I was waiting on the results, the, I saw some doctors and they sort of helped me and they gave me a different set of antibiotics. And instead of, um, you know, giving it... Um, pills they give it through the blood and they did blood tests and they found a few other different things wrong and they were able to put me on courses of pills and on courses of medicine to basically get it better and then when i found out i didn't have coronavirus they released me to a general ward did more tests and then basically on last friday i got discharged i have a i've been told to rest strictly for a week but now i'm back under my gp care I don't know how, I don't see myself in better in a week, I gotta be honest. I, I'm so weak. I am so tired. Basically, I got a, I'm officially an asthmatic again. It's the first diagnosis. And two, I had a very, very severe viral infection. And it is a really serious virus. And I need to get better. I need to take my pills. You know, I gotta do the old Hulk Hogan, you know, I gotta, Gotta take my prayer, say my prayers, and take my vitamins, and take my pills, and uh, you know, get on the road to recovery. But I'm gonna be back talking to you about things going forward in this show because I, while I haven't paid too much attention to your politics and the daily briefings, I've been seeing what's going on, and there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about. But for the rest of this show, I want to talk to you about what I felt in hospital. And what I feel are some of the problems in the rest of the, in this world. Because one of the things I have tried to avoid doing, because anytime you talk about faith in any way, it's, oh, there you go again. You're, you're going to convert us to Jesus. You're, you know, you're, you're trying to convert everyone to your religion. I don't have a religion to convert you to. I'm a Christian, but I don't have a church. But I believe if you want to call yourself a Christian nation, whether you believe in God or not, or whether you believe in Jesus as your Savior or not, there are certain principles we can learn from him. 
from his story, whether you believe he was just lived, whether you believe he was a prophet, whether you believe he was a savior and the son of God. But in his life, there are certain things we can learn from his stories. And I want to talk to you about some of the stuff I felt in hospital. And I want to do it from the sense of it's Easter. It's Easter weekend where there is hope. And I want to talk to you for the next 15, 20 minutes about some principles that are Christian principles, but that they are fundamental principles of man. They're not just Christians. They're apt for Jews, for atheists, for Muslims, for Democrats, for Republicans, for gay people or straight people. They're for everyone. And I think as I go through the show, what I would ask you to think, especially as this time, as we reflect, I would urge you to listen to the show and self-reflect on your life. And ask yourself, are you happy where you're at? Are you happy with what your focus is on? Are you happy with what you're prioritizing as important in your life? So I want to talk to you, start off by talking to you about some compassion. You know, when I was growing up, the certain things in scriptures never, I could never really understand or not that I couldn't understand them. I couldn't visualize them in today's world. I couldn't see it been a problem. Matthew 24, 12 speaks about, and depending on what version of the English language you use this in, it's different words, but because of lawlessness shall prevail. The love of most will grow cold. I would ask you to look around the world today and ask yourself in your own family, in your own community, in your own state, in your own country, in your own circle of friends on social media, as a society, as your culture, do you have too much love in your life or do we have too little? Look around at how we talk to each other. Look around at how we treat each other. Look around at how we act so entitled to certain things in our culture. Look around your world and ask yourself, when was the last time you saw someone really either have sympathy or empathy towards other people? Or are we selective in who we are sympathetic towards? Or are we, are we selective of who we empathize with? Is it possible to actually look around at this world and go, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of pain in our world? And how many people try to change that pain? How many people try and empathize with that pain? Or is it all just about making political points where we just wrap everything up together into one little ball and we come out on our side? I don't want to talk to you about coronavirus because, quite honestly, I'm guessing a lot of you are sick of hearing about it. I'm sure a lot of hosts are sick and talk, tired of talking about it. But I want you to try and visualize something because a lot of you haven't been in a hospital recently. Now, I want to share some stories with you, not to make the point for corona being something serious, which I believe it is, which I'll talk to you about another time. 
But I see this argument. It seems to be impossible to come down on the side of, I'm really worried about coronavirus. I'm also really worried about the growing government infringement on people's rights. And I'm also really worried about the economic devastation that is coming our way. I'm equally worried about all three. But so many people I see online who are like, oh, the coronavirus, it's a hoax. It's the deep state. The same amount of people died from the flu. Really? Can we have compassion? Can we have compassion? I'm, why, where is it that if you die a certain way, you get sympathy, but if you die another way, you don't? If America and the world wants to talk about being Christian nations and, you know, believing in God and how many people are Christians, should we not mourn every death? Should we not see when someone dies, regardless whether it's coronavirus or the flu or a drug overdose or hit by a car or just dies of natural causes? Should we not sit there and go, that's really sad, whether they lived up to their potential or not? Should we not celebrate their lives? Should we not mourn them? Should we not empathize knowing that everyone has lost someone close to us? Should we not empathize with the families who have now lost a a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, aunt or uncle, people who lost their friends? I've been in hospital a bit over my life. I'm not exactly the, the healthiest, fittest person you'll ever meet. I know, shocker, right? When I pulled up to that hospital last Monday, it was truly an eerie experience. It felt like the walking dead. Now, I want to stress something before I tell you what I'm about to tell you. I'm not here to convert you to think the coronavirus is more serious than any other issue. Or I'm not here to convert you to, to, you know, to see a certain way. I'm just going to tell you what I experienced. And you can decide whether, John, you're talking a pile of crap right now. Or it's irrelevant. Or I'm more worried about the government. That's good for you. But I think it's time we start listening to each other. And start understanding that, you know what, we can be so opposed to economic shutdowns and and growing governments, but we can also empathize and have sympathy with people who are going through some major problems right now due to this coronavirus. So I pulled up, I got my mother dropped me in, I sat six, six feet apart from her, as in the back on the opposite side of the SUV. And you pull in and you see nobody. In fact, outside the hospital, there's a tent. You've got to go through the tent to get to the admissions part. And you walk in, and you, you, my mother couldn't come in with me. Even if she wanted, I wouldn't have let her. Because my mother has health issues. She's only three months over cancer. She wasn't going anywhere near me. But the idea, because I knew I was so sick, because I felt so horrible, in the back of my mind, I was like, there's a chance I might never see my mother again. How hard is that to people to understand? And you walk into that hospital and you, you go to a, a glass window and you tell the person what's wrong with you and they admit you and then you got to go see nurses. And all you see is men and women who are so clearly tired, worn out and emotionally drained. And they just want to help you. And then they, because of my symptoms, I was brought into an isolation chamber. 
because obviously they when they saw my symptoms and they saw how I was and how bad I was, you know, there was a chance they had COVID. So, you know, you can't have me just lingering around other people. So I was in an isolation ward and then you got to go through the test. And then you're in isolation for two full days waiting on the results. You don't see anyone. The only person you see is a doctor and they come in like a like a bio you know if you ever watch those movies where there's like a bioterrorism like the hazmat suits with glasses on you can't see you can barely see their eyes but you can't see any skin you can't see their smiles you can't see their facial expression you can't read their lips and they've got a job to do to you know obviously try and get you better but also to bring you some comfort or bring you some little bit of joy I saw people really, really sick in that COVID ward because it, literally in front of me there was pure glass so you, you could see it all as people would pass you by. Is it possible we can have sympathy and empathy with those people who are going through that fear right now? Is it possible we can show some sympathy towards people who are going through that situation where they have left their loved ones, they have left their parents or their siblings or their partner or even their kids, and they're facing an uncertain future where they may never get to see their loved ones again. I get the political arguments and that there's a time and a place for the political discussions, but is it possible that we could just show a smidgen more empathy? Or are we at a point in our world where we just have too much sympathy? Or are we just all going to be all about, well, facts don't care about your feelings, where feelings just don't count? I agree with facts don't care about your feelings. Facts are ultimately the, the biggest thing. But emotions are what make us human. Do you really want to be an emotionless person? If you have no empathy for emotions or no need for emotions, then what is the difference between you and a robot? What is the difference between you and a drone? Emotions are what makes us great. They also make us bad. The emotions of that feeling of when you see someone that really means something to you, your parent or your, your lover, you know, that feeling you have inside where you haven't seen them in a while and you just want to go embrace them and give them a big hug. That's human. That's what's important. But then on the flip side, the nurses, the nurses who do an incredible job, nurses always have a, a tough time. There's a reason I salute them on this show, but they already had a tough job. They already had a tough job, but it's now been made tougher because every time they go into a room and they came into my isolation room. They'd have, obviously, their, their normal scrubs on, their, you know, the, the scrubs and the trainers and stuff. But every time they would come into my room, they would have to get dressed up. They'd have to put, you know, this PP on over. They'd have to put on gloves. They'd have to put on uh, this face mask. They'd have to put on a mask over their mouth. They'd have to, the face mask went over their eyes. Totally shield them. They'd have to put stuff over their trainers to come in and give me an IV drip, come in to give me some pills. And then literally when they were done giving me the medication or giving me my food, they would leave. But they would first strip all the PPE off and then use hand sanitizer. And then they'd go out into the hallway and then go into the next room and start the procedure all over again of getting dressed. 
This is the fact of what we're facing on the front line. This is the pain we are dealing with on the front line. It's time we show some empathy and compassion, I think. But also on the flip side, there are people dying from this disease. There are people dying from coronavirus. And I don't know about you, but I want to tell you a story of someone who I know that died. And it's truly heartbreaking. There's a person who used to live across the road from me. She died over the weekend. She had dementia and she had a few other health issues and she went into a nursing home. And because of this coronavirus and because elderly people are really susceptible to it, they have stopped all visitors. I'm sure they've done this in the US as well. They stopped all visitors to the nursing home a month ago. Which means her family, her daughter, her grandson, her great-grandkids haven't seen her in over a month. And then they get the phone call that she got coronavirus and she's dead. Because of the coronavirus, this lady was a Catholic. She didn't get the full honors of, you know, getting her day, quote-unquote, to go to church and to be celebrated and have her life remembered by all her family and all her friends and all her neighbors. And then went to the graveside and got buried. And then, you know, usually, I'm sure it's the same over there. There's usually a reception afterwards. She didn't get any of that because she's got corona. No church. No funeral. Just was buried on Monday morning, this morning. I don't know when you're going to listen to this. At a graveside by 10 people. No pomp, no circumstances. Just buried in front of 10 people. Her family didn't even get to see her. To say goodbye. Again, you can think of the coronavirus as whatever way you want. But is there anyone who would look at that and say, I can't, I don't have any sympathy for that. Can we show a bit of sympathy and empathize with that family? And countless amount of families who are going through a similar experience. The question we have to ask ourselves is, Do we have too much love in this world or do we need a lot more? Just something to think about as you're posting stuff online or you're engaging with people. But I will say this to you. If you have some petty difference with someone that's close to you, maybe now would be a good time to reach out and say, you know what? I don't know what our differences were, but it doesn't matter. I love you. I forgive you. first show of mine you're listening to welcome we release a new show every saturday at 12 noon eastern we're on all major platforms search for freedom's disciple also if you happen to listen on apple apple apparently have brought their reviews rating system back so if you can leave us a five-star review be eternally grateful it helps in the algorithm and also if you leave us a review um you know just tell us what you think you know what you why you like this show it helps new people find this show you know, one of the issues in life, and this is, I'm going to just take a break from talking about health. I just want to talk to you about something personal. You know, one of the things I try and do in life is, as general is I always try and see the other side of the argument. I always try and go, why do you think this? And I do it because I want to genuinely, I'm curious about 
how other people see the world. But I also do it so that if I understand how you think, I have a better chance of relating things to you. And one issue I've never, ever, ever been able to understand is racism. Where we look at people based on the color of their skin. And to go, you're good or you're bad, or you're okay. Or well, you're this color, you have that characteristics. I never could understand it. I never grew up with it to understand, hey, well, John, I ha- you have white privilege. You're, you're better than other people. How you're better than, you know, someone who's black or who's colored or who's, you know, tanned or who's more, you know, you know, different, different types of shade of, you know, darker color. You know, whether you're from Asia or from Malaysia or from uh, Middle East, you know, all the different colors of tans, the different shades. Never understood it. I've tried my best to read different things to kind of go, hey, I'm better than you because I have this. Never understood it. But when I was in the hospital, it really dawned on me how stupid racism is. Now, granted, I haven't read anything, and I've read a lot over the years of, hey, why whites are better, or different colors are better, or different races or different creeds are better. But I've always thought they're the most subjective, stupid, idiotic thing you can do. The idea that even in my own family, and my family in Ireland is very white, that you could look at me and my family and go, we're automatically better than everyone else. When I look at me and my family, I see we're totally different. The only thing we have in common is our quote-unquote family lineage. And yes, we're all white. And yes, we're Irish. But as people, as outlooks on life, as what we value, how we act, we're generally very (laughs) apples and oranges. And you have this bigger thing on a scale where, well, that's just in my own family. How much different am I to Irish people? But we're all of a sudden somewhat better because we're all white. Never understood it. But as I was in hospital and I saw people caring for me and and helping me, and as I got into a general ward for a couple of days, I saw so many different doctors and nurses from over the world. At a point in time where it's easy to, to promote your own country first, I realized in many ways it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your race. It's irrelevant. The people who treated me, because I spoke to them, because one, I was desperate to talk to people because I was so worried. I, you know, been in an isolation room for 24 hours a day and, you know, seeing someone, you know, for maybe five minutes total in a day, you got to talk to someone. So instead of talking about me, I talk about them. And I was wondering, where are you from? You know, wh- you know, what's your background? And over the course of five days, I got treated by people from India people from Sri Lanka, people from South America, people from Ireland who are from both Dublin, the city capital, and the country, got treated by an Englishman, got treated by a Chinese person, got treated by a couple of Italians, and got treated by one Moldovan. All different colors, all different ages, probably all different religions, Probably in there because the law of averages, probably different sexualities. I'm sure someone I saw was gay or had some, you know, gay leanings or maybe bi or maybe, you don't know, maybe, you know, in this world, maybe they were polygamous. I don't know. 
Maybe they had different, you know, issues in their own past. Maybe some had kids and some didn't. All on the different spectrum. And as I saw them all do their job and all caring for people, imagine there are people out there who would go, well, they're better, we're better than them. Why does race actually matter? Why do we care about this pigmentation of our skins? The stuff I saw, I don't know how a, a nurse is a nurse. I really don't. I saw some things in the when I got released from the COVID isolation chamber. I went to a general ward because they then had to figure out what exactly was wrong with me and how to cure me. And I got put in this ward with six beds. And there was four other people. And I just want to talk to you about what a nurse faces on a daily basis. The person directly beside me to my right-hand side, because I was at the window. I don't know, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to diagnose him with what I think he had. But he had some type of health issues with his brain and dementia or Parkinson's or some different thing. Because it's a public ward, they would pull the curtain around and the doctor would talk to you. But it's just a curtain. You could still hear the conversations. They, When he first got checked in, I was there before him. This gentleman who had to be at least 70, maybe even 80. You could look in his eyes and there was nothing there. And as the doctor was assessing him, the doctor was asking him questions of, what day is it? And you would just hear him just be silent and eventually would go, I don't know. Now, I forgave that one because truthfully, though I was on, I was so sick last week that if you would ask me some of the days, I think I got the days mixed up as well. But he then asked, you know, what year is it? He couldn't tell you. He was asked who the president was. Couldn't tell you. He was asked his wife's name. And he couldn't tell you. Imagine living in that world where you don't know your wife's name. Is that not truly heartbreaking? This man also had a lot of agitation in the sense of all he wanted to do was leave the hospital. And I don't know, the brain is a funny, funny organ. It's unique. But all he wanted to do was find the exit. And I don't know what he was seeing or what images were being relayed through his eyes and into his brain. But on the outside of my ward, um, we were I think we were about four or five floors up. It was a construction site. It was a big square block. And I was on the inside. And there was scaffolding all outside. But it was clearly a big block. You couldn't, it wasn't like there was, you know, there was a road. It was literally another building on the opposite side. It was one big square. And at one point he came up to me and looked out the window and said, can we get out here? Is this the exit? I don't know what he saw, that he literally saw a window with scaffolding outside and went, is this the exit? What was that, must have that man been seeing or visualizing? But as then he got more and more agitated, I want to leave, I want to go home. The nurses were trying to engage with him. 
And the nurse is going, okay, well, we'll get you home. Where do you live? I don't know. That broke my heart. And as I saw the nurses engage with him, they had to obviously monitor him because he was so likely to keep walking and walking around. And, you know, if they lose him, he's not going to find out where he is. Because several times they started letting him just, you know, walk to the, the ward door. And they'd ask him, okay, now let's go back to your bed. And he didn't know which bed he was in. There's only six and four of them were full. But he had no idea. The nurses had to be so kind and so patient, constantly telling them every two minutes, come on, let's go have a cease. We'll, we'll get you home later on. We've got to wait on the doctors. The man opposite him in the bed, again, I'm no doctor, but probably had some type of bowel cancer, but had to had it both a bag for his number one and a nappy for number two. Imagine being at a point in time where you cannot go to the toilet without being put on the bed with loads of padding and then having your nappy stripped like you're a baby and having a complete stranger wipe you and clean you and then put a new nappy on you. Yet this is what this man had to put up with a couple of times a day. Anytime this man mooched or moved in the bed and he was asked to sit up for different medicine, he had to carry this bag of urine around, whether it was full or empty. He had to move it because there's only a short leash between the bag and his... (whistles) Imagine having to live with that 24-7. Imagine being a, a nurse who went to school to learn to care for people, and that's your job, part of your job. We have a lot of problems in our world right now. We have a thing which I'm going to talk to you about on this Saturday show, about the economy and how we need some hope. And I'm going to ask you to tune into that show. But we have so many problems facing us. But it's also important that we look around and see that there is fundamentally goodness in our world. Those nurses from all over the world, with different genders and different belief systems and different sexualities probably, cared for people. They were working 12-hour shifts. They were working 12-hour shifts to bring other people comfort. Isn't it time we learned that racism is stupid? It is the most idiotic argument that you can see out there. But isn't it important to look around at our life and understand that, you know what? Yes, we have problems. But there is always someone worse. And those two gentlemen who I spent two days with in that channel ward really frightened me and really humbled me and honestly made me thankful that all I had was a really bad viral infection and where I can't breathe. I breathe heavy quite a lot. I hope today's show has given you something to think about and to reflect on, and I apologize for 
any breathing you hear during this show or any breathlessness, I, I've tried to edit it all out. I also apologize for sounding like I'm on a lot of drugs and my voice been horrible. I, I, I hear it and it's like, oh my God. But trust me when I say this, it's so much better than it was. When I was, a couple of weeks ago when I was starting to get sick, it, I'm not joking when I say this, my, my mother actually told me, you sound like you're going through puberty again. I was so high. It was like, hi, hi, I'm good. How are you? Um, it was, it was, it's, it's horrible normally, but it was so much worse two weeks ago. But I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about yourself. I want to talk to you about what's important to you to actually look at your own life and take stock of what's going on and go, what's important in my life? What's, what's important? And as I, the way I remember things and the way I'm inspired and what makes me think is, is people who are way smarter than me, who are way better than me saying stuff. And I want to share a quote with you that will live with me forever. And it's from one of your, your last great presidents who I consider was a good president. He said this in 1992, whatever else history may say about me when I'm gone, I hope it will record that I appeal to your best hopes and not your worst fears, to your confidences rather than your doubts. That was Ronald Reagan. We need to have a lot of conversations over the next couple of weeks and months about what your country looks like after coronavirus. But we also need to start doing it with ourselves and understanding that this pain that we're all going through for many different reasons is an opportunity to do some self-reflecting, to understand what's truly important in this world, what's important in our lives. Does America want to be the country that believes in the vision of FDR, where the American dream was everyone has a house, a car and a garage to put it in? Or does America want to be closer to the vision of its founding fathers, where it was about that you have a land of opportunity, that you have God-given rights, and among those rights are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Which country do you want to be? What vision do you want to be? Do you want to be the people who landed at Pilgrim, or the people who went to Jamestown? Do you want to be the people who are filled with love or filled with anger? I want to ask you to just to reflect on certain things in your life. For those of us who think stuff is important, I'd ask you to reflect on something and try and reconcile something in your head. It's 2020. If you care about stuff, there has never, ever, ever been a better time to be alive. Even poor people today have access to flat screen TVs. Even poor people have access to iPads and Xboxes and Kindle and DVDs and countless amounts of entertainment. If you want to be entertained, you know, the days of having to go, I, can't, I don't remember how much it was when over there in the States, but the days of us going to Blockbuster and paying three bucks a night for a video for 24 hours is incredible. That's gone. You know, buy Amazon for, or Netflix or Disney for like 10 bucks a month. And you have hours upon hours upon hours of endless entertainment. 
and you can press it, you can play it, you can rewind it, you can fast forward it as you see fit at the touch of a button. You can play countless games. You can communicate with people. If you believe in stuff, there has never been a better time to be alive. Yet why are so many people miserable? Why are so many people hurting right now? Is it possible that life means more? But let me bring it full circle just on that point to your founding fathers. Your founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence had everything they wanted. They had the fame, they had the fortune, they had the the names and the honor in society. Do you remember George Washington because he was a great landscaper or a conveyor? Surveyor, sorry, apologies. Do you remember him because of all his land at Mount Vernon? Do you remember him because of his wealth? Do you remember any of the founding fathers because of their wealth? The only founding father I can link to that has any connection of been remembered for their wealth is because of his selflessness with his wealth was Ben Franklin and the potbelly stove. Or do you remember them as men who had honor, who risked everything for a brighter tomorrow? Is it possible that life and stuff are just connected? They're just things that we enjoy, but that real meaning from life doesn't come from stuff. It comes from people, it comes from connections, it comes from emotions, it comes from love. It comes from service. Now, let me give you another in that that example to think about. It's Easter. The rising of Jesus Christ, the resurrection. I would ask you just to think about some of the attributes that Jesus had. Love, forgiveness, mercy, humility. Honor, integrity, kindness, love, tenderness, meekness. Look around at society today and go, do we have any of those attributes? Do we even try and aspire to those attributes? And should we? Look at how we treat people online. Look at what's happening in your politics. Look what's happening in your media. Look what's happening on social media. Look what's happening within families. Look at what's happening between countries around the world. We have a great future ahead of us if we want it. We have a great opportunity ahead of us if we want it. The question is never, have we got a bright future? The answer is always yes. We always have a bright future. The question is, is are we willing to work and to sacrifice to make it bright, to make tomorrow a brighter tomorrow? We can use this pain and suffering that we're in right now where a lot of people are hurting. And I don't want anyone to hurt, but we can use it as an opportunity to self-reflect and say, what's really important? Because as I would ask you to think about death and stuff is going on, a word that's always misconstrued, I would ask you to think about what your legacy is. What is your legacy? What do you want to be remembered for? Do you want to be remembered because you're a great politician who always won? Do you want to be remembered because you're a politician who fought the good fight? Do you want to be remembered because you were in the media and you had all these hits and ratings and things that went viral? Do you want to be remembered online for someone who always was great with a put down? Do you want to be remembered because you were rich and you had seven houses and six cars and a private plane? Or do you want to be remembered because you were a good person? Because you always tried to help other people. Because you always wanted to be a better person. 
What's important to you? Is it family? Is it friends? Is it jobs? Is it your creations? Is it changing the world? Is it making the world freer? Is it being a best mom or parent that you can be? What's important to you? Is it possible that maybe, just maybe, our world has become unsteady and unmoored by principles of nature's law and nature's God that we're only just trying to fill the void that we have with stuff and with anger? Our future is what we make of it. We can turn this around. We can turn this around. But I don't want to just make this about you. I'll answer the question I've asked you guys to give you some reflection. What do I want my legacy to be? I don't care about stuff. I don't care about how many cars I have. Heck, I haven't had my own car in eight, nine years now. Don't have my own phone. I don't care about stuff. Stuff is, eh, it's nice. I like my iPad. I like the convenience it brings me. But what my legacy I want it to be is I want to appeal to your highest hopes. I don't care what history writes about me. I know I'm, it'll write I'm a sinner. I'm a deeply flawed man. I have more flaws than most. But I wanted to write that there was a guy who truly understood the reason America was unique. America was exceptional. And that he did everything, whether I get to live in America or whether I always have to stay in Ireland or another country. That he never gave up. That he always tried to remember a mind, America, and the world. Why you can be better. Why you can achieve greatness. Why it's important that you only have one opportunity in life. And it's absolutely critical you do everything you can to pursue your happiness. That you have one opportunity. Do not waste it. And that tomorrow... Yes, there may be pain. Yes, there may be suffering. Yes, there may be hurt. But it always doesn't have to be that way. That things can change. And that the most important things in life are human connection, are love, are helping other people, are service, are honor, are sacrifice. And that if we all work together, we can make the world a better tomorrow. The great thing about your founding fathers, the message they gave you is this. The times change. The people change. The situations change. The actors change. Everything can change. The solutions are there. The solutions are always the same. The principles of nature's law and nature's God. And it is my job to do everything I can to be a winter soldier and testify to their greatness regardless of whether they're popular and well-received or whether they're ignored and hated. That is my job and that is my legacy and that is what I'm going to work tirelessly to make come true. What's your legacy? Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, we salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, your amazing nurses who are doing amazing jobs with amazing sacrifice and your vets who serve 24-7. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people, through the sentiments of the Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful, blessed, and safe week.
Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. 